Tom Van Dyke has been a member of this congregation for over 50 years. He's hiding there on the back row, I think, this morning, not in his regular seat over here. Tom has held many leadership positions in our congregation, most recently as the chairperson of the endowment trustees for several years. But if you were to talk with Tom at coffee hour after church today and ask him to tell you about his journey here at Country Club Christian Church, he would quickly tell you the story of what happened a long time ago. Tom and his wife Sharon had two small children at the time, ages two and seven, when they came home one evening and opened their car door in the driveway and Sharon slipped on the ice and had a severe break in her ankle that required five hours of surgery. When she came home to their two small children, she was in a leg cast that was non-walking. It came all the way up to her hip. And then Tom will tell you that someone from the anniversary class, someone from their Sunday school class, came to their home every day for six weeks to help chase that two-year-old around the house, to help with meals, to visit with Sharon, to get them through that rough chapter. Every day, I've heard Tom tell the story several times, and he always emphasizes every day. His face lights up when he tells it. He tells you that his class rallied. The church held his family and carried them through when they needed it the most. But today, you and I live in an age when the fastest growing religious group in our country is the non-religious. Sociologists call this group the spiritual but not religious, the SBNRs. Some of them are what we call the nuns. When asked on a survey if they are Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, they check the box that says none. And then some of them are what's called the duns, meaning I'm done with church. I was there once, but you would not believe what happened in that church. Not for me anymore. What I worry about most with this rapid increase in the rise of the spiritual but not religious group is who will bring the casseroles? Who will show up to chase the toddler around the house when mom just broke her leg? Who will be there to carry the community through a moment of crisis? My own sweet sister, Rhonda, lives in San Francisco, California, and she would be classified as an SBNR, a spiritual but not religious. And obviously, we grew up in the same home, in the same church community in Texas, and we share pretty similar beliefs about God. But for 40 years, she has not belonged to a church or any Christian community. And when her husband walked out after 27 years of marriage, what I longed for most for my sister was a church. Oh, she had great friends, but she had no place to turn in her life that loved her just because, without taking sides in the divorce, without whispering or wondering questions of fault, when the church is the church, when the church is the body of Christ, it loves us through any situation that arises without judgment or blame. Recently, I read this sweet little novel called My Name is Eleanor Oliphant. Eleanor Oliphant is a 20-something-year-old 
beginning her career in Scotland. My favorite scene of the book is when Eleanor musters up the courage to walk into a coffee shop. She orders her coffee and they say, ma'am, what is your name? And she freezes. Why do you want to know my name? She's a recluse. She never goes anywhere except work and home. Work and home. She's not been in a coffee shop. She doesn't connect with anyone at all. And she's terrified to give a total stranger her name, but they insist. And so she says, my name is Miss Eleanor Oliphant. And they write on the cup, Ellie. And then she moves on to wait for her coffee. Sometimes even we are afraid of connecting. Even those of us who gather week after week around this table where we share the bread and share the cup, and also our brothers and sisters whom we love, who are those SBNRs, all of us can experience some reluctance to really connect with another human being, to let our spirit be touched by the spirit of another. Someone asks you to join a committee or a small group, and it sounds enticing, but you say, I don't have much time, because you're afraid that it will swallow you up. If we open ourselves up to another person, that person's wants might consume us, and we might lose ourselves. Or perhaps you're at a family gathering and someone brings up a topic and you wonder if you should dare connect with the conversation and share your own beliefs about a political or social issue and then you hold back because you wonder if it will ruin the relationship. Sometimes we're afraid even to open up to the one we call God. Today's scripture lesson is written exactly for people like us. To those of us who are afraid to connect, and to those of us who live in a world of competing spiritualities. First John begins, Beloved, do not believe in every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And the text goes on to say that the true test of any spirituality is whether or not it empowers us to love one another. By this we know that we abide in God and God in us because God has given us of God's spirit. God sent Jesus into the world to reveal what love looks like in human flesh, to connect that abstract concept of God and love into our real human lives. Jesus not only loved those inside the religious establishment, he also loved his enemies. Jesus not only loved those who were kind and generous and caring, he loved the scoundrel. Jesus forgave the sinners. He healed the outcast. He insists on loving those, even those who torture him, who torment him, who taunt him, all the way to the cross. His best friends denied him and betrayed him. He was crucified. But never in all of that did he cease to love in very concrete ways. Love is not a fuzzy feeling. Love is an act of connecting when connecting seems impossible. One scholar puts it this way. It's not that we ought to love. It's that we can love. 
when we connect with God, we, pe we connect with people around us, there is no such thing as me and God because God's love compels us to connect with the people whom God places in our daily path, be it a family member, a friend, a stranger, or yes, even an enemy. God empowers us to love. We know God most fully when God's love flows through us. The scripture speaks telling us that what seems abstract as a philosophy to some is actually a living, breathing reality that comes to life in their own lives. We love because God first loved us. God's love is now in us. But let me tell it with an image. Two weeks ago, we buried my father-in-law, Jacob Amon. He was 95 and we celebrated his good life in grand style. He had been a pastor, a gentle, kind, gracious, loving man. Jacob had four children, my husband Dave, the oldest, and then his three younger sisters, Dorothy, Deborah, and Donna. Those four siblings often disagreed in my 30-year history with this family on subjects of politics and religion and social issues. In fact, my brother-in-law's favorite sport at family reunions, reunions is to lob what he calls a grenade into the midst of the room where they're sitting around having coffee and then watch things erupt as he leaves the room and reads a magazine laughing in the other room. As young adult kids, uh, as young adults as they were raising their own kids, each of the four siblings moved to different states across the United States, one spending most of her adult life in another country. And only in recent years, as their kids have grown up, have they made time to get back together and know each other as siblings. All four kids deeply respected dad, but all four of them gave him lots of gray hair by pushing back hard on his very traditional and firm values. Now the time had come to say goodbye to dad. The casket was open for what I thought was way too long, five hours at the visitation, and some of us didn't even want to look. And then the next day we gathered for the funeral, and there in the front of the church, the casket was again open and people were gathering and people would come down and see him and the family was over here. And then the funeral director came over and whispered to the family and said, the service will begin. You're gonna gather in the back, but now is your time. You can pay your final respects. And without any planning, without any conversation, those four siblings just rose and went to the casket together and they linked arms with one another and they stood there, arm in arm, gazing at their father's face for the very last time, and the four of them were visibly sobbing. We were standing behind them, and we could see their bodies shaking. And one of the grandkids said, ha, ah, we should take a picture. And another said, no, that is holy. Don't take a picture. And then the four siblings formed a circle like a group hug, and they sobbed, and they sobbed, and they sobbed. And in that instant, I knew it was true. 
that they were able to love one another because he had first loved them. That amazing love was now inside of them, and it was theirs to carry forward. Just, just as First John tells us, so we have known and believe in the love that God has in us. It is not a transaction. It is not a decision. It is a gift. So how do we move beyond our fear of connecting? Frederick Beekner puts it this way. When you love somebody, it is no longer yourself who is at the center of your universe. It is the one that you love who is. You forget yourself. You deny yourself. You give of yourself so that by the rules of mathematical logic, there should be less of you than there was to start with. Only by some curious paradox, there is actually more of you, and you feel that at last, you really are yourself. And so we are all called during the season of Lent to practice connecting. And we are able to trust that that Spirit of God will breathe holy love through those connections. My classmate, Norman Wurzbaugh, gave a great definition of church in his book, The Way of Love. He says that church is just the name that Christians give to communal bodies that practice and promote the exercise of love. And he reminds us that the word God is not a noun, it's a verb. God is what happens when we love one another, that holy energy. It is exactly what Tom Van Dyke experienced when folks from his Sunday school class showed up day after day on his front porch. For God compels us to love in ways that we could have never imagined loving, and any one of us is capable for a moment of loving someone whom we completely agree with. But even harder is the task of loving the stranger. The late Fred Craddock once preached a sermon in which he recalled a story that was shared by the famous theologian Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher living and writing in the mid-1800s, and Kierkegaard has long been one of my favorite philosophers and theologians, but I had never read this story because it is not in one of his classic texts on the, on the love of God. It is in one of his journals. Kierkegaard struggled in his own personal life to develop love. He wrote one day that he was out in the town of Copenhagen on a walk, and he noticed that there was a little girl with a beggar's basket leading three musicians through town. The musicians were blind, but they were playing the most stunningly beautiful music, Mozart and Beethoven. And a group of peasants gathered around to listen to this music, but the peasants were unable to place any kind of gift in the basket. And so this beautiful concert is taking place in the streets, but the basket remains empty. Meanwhile, Kierkegaard looks up and he sees down at the other end of the block chariots passing by with the well-heeled patrons of the symphony on their way to the concert. 
oblivious to the beautiful music in the streets. And Kierkegaard writes in his journal that night, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are willing but cannot, and there are those who are able but will not. And Craddock retorts that Kierkegaard was wrong. There are actually three kinds of people. There are those who are willing but cannot, and there are those who are able but will not, and then there's you, and then there's you. <laughs>